Well, it's good to be good to be back up here in this pulpit. I feel like I haven't been here for for quite a while. In fact, I haven't. Um, so it's good to be bringing God's word to you, and a great privilege, as always. Uh, just an announcement: there's no children's catechism today. Just to let you know that as one final announcement before we start. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles to the book of the letter to the Hebrews, I just want to read a few verses from. Chapter 1, the letter to the Hebrews in the New Testament. Chapter 1, verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And then a little further down in verse 8, but of the Son, he says, he, that is God, says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, and you Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe you will roll them up, like a garment they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. And then to our text in the final chapter, this is our text for today, final chapter, chapter 13 of the letter to the Hebrews. Chapter 13 and one verse, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today, and forever. Let's pray. So, Heavenly Father, you are indeed a gracious and merciful God, and so I ask for your grace and mercy today. Would you increase the communication of the Spirit to our minds and hearts today to to show us Jesus Christ in all of his glory? Oh, Father, give to us what we don't have. Teach us what we need to learn and make us what we need to be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, when we were newly married, uh, I'd sometimes catch my wife Amanda staring at me oddly. And I would say, I'd say, what are you looking at? And she would answer, I'm trying to imagine what you'll look like when you're old. Well, even with the best imagination in the world, I'm sure she could not have conjured up in her mind this. From a a, a mane of thick, dark brown hair that I had back in the day to this now. It was hair today and gone tomorrow. And, And to be fair, it's only downhill from now on. And the point is this, that nothing stays the same in this life. People come and people go. Fashion changes Life expectancy changes. You know, the the average age for uh, a man born in 1922, the average age that he would live would be 58. In 2022, it's 81. 
And there's a time for uh, everything in life on earth. The writer of Ecclesiastes tells us that seasons change and that life is, is a mere breath full of joys and sorrows and yet death is the end for every person. People are born, they grow strong, they grow old, they grow weak, they die and sometimes death comes earlier and more suddenly than that. And the fact is, friends, we don't know what will happen tomorrow. And though we may make plans, James tells us in the book of James that if the Lord wills, we will live or die or do this or that. So don't be presumptuous. Your life can change in an instant. You know that doctor's appointment, that accident, that accusation, that fall into sin. We live in a, in a fallen world as fallen beings all subject to change. Nothing lasts, nothing is perfect. The high that you have today will not be there for long. The wonderful vacation doesn't go on forever. That perfect friend is not really perfect and will let you down. So in a world with so much change, and haven't we all experienced change so intensively recently, we're all in danger of drifting if we don't have an anchor for our souls. And yet we do have an anchor. In our ever-changing lives, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. That is the anchor for our souls, friends. To give a bit of context for that verse, of course, Hebrews is written as a letter. We could almost say a sermonic letter to exhort the hearers to persevere and to warn them not to drift away from the faith. They'd endured persecutions. They're even encouraged to care for and identify with those who are being persecuted. So it says in chapter 13, remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them. The church is under pressure from the outside, but there's also pressure on the inside and the, the threat of apostasy, that is, those who will deny the faith. So he exhorts them to pay attention to what they've heard, lest they drift away from it in chapter 2. And in, and in chapter 4, he exhorts them not to harden their hearts. Instead, he encourages them to not give up meeting together in order to spur one another on to love and good works in chapter 10 and to strive for holiness without which you will not see the Lord in chapter 12, and then alongside these exhortations, he warns them of the danger of giving up and falling away from the faith. And then we come to chapter 13 and, and verse 8, and one of the most famous verses in the Bible, actually certainly within the book of Hebrews. And, and it seems to appear suddenly, almost without explanation, in a list of uh, final things that the author wants to deal with. Uh, things that include hospitality and marriage and sex and money and so on in chapter 13. And yet, here in this one verse, it, it, it contains a declaration of everything that we believe as Christians. And there are three aspects to it. Very simply, if you look at it, there are three tenses, right? Past, present, and future. Yesterday, today, and forever. If you dive back into chapter 9, you don't have to do that now, but if you want to look at it later, chapter 9 explains it further. It says in chapter 9, verse 26, that Christ has appeared to put away sin. He now appears 
in the presence of God on our behalf, and he will appear to save those who eagerly await him. Past, present, future. Yesterday, today, forever. And this verse, verse 8, is placed between verses 7 and 9, which helps us understand things a little bit better. We could say that verse 8 has a backwards and a forwards reference to the verses either side. And these verses either side are actually about correct teaching and false teaching between good leaders and bad leaders. If you look at verse 7, there's an encouragement. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So here's an encouragement to remember and to consider and to then imitate your former leaders, their, their life and doctrine. Now, most probably this is a reference to dead leaders, but it could be to some that maybe are still alive that have, have left. Of course, we can, in this church, remember, can't we, some who used to be with us at, at Calvary Grace. Remember Pastor Terry Stoffer and, and Jeff Jones, who, who taught here for many years so faithfully in the past, and whose example then was evident to all. What makes them good is that they taught the Word of God to us and they had a lifestyle of faith that was worth imitating. Many of you might be able to also look back at spiritual leaders in your life that have had an influence, how they taught and modeled the gospel to you. And it's worth noting here that we're often in danger of despising a former generation of Christian leaders. But, but we learn from history. That's why we're doing a... Uh, Sunday school season uh, and church history. We've been doing that. We learn from history and our forefathers. It's to the great impoverishment of the Christian church if we neglect those that have gone before, those who sacrifice for our spiritual well-being, considering their example is a sta stabilizing element in our lives. But I also think by way of extrapolation, there's an inference to present leaders as well, because verse 17 encourages the hearers of the day to obey their leaders now. So good leaders who teach faithfully and demonstrate a, a godly lifestyle are a real blessing, friends. A real blessing. And here's the thing, they might not always be with you. So don't forget that, he says. It, it, it'll help you persevere. So good leaders are in view in verse 7, and then the other side of verse 8, in verse 9, is, is a warning not to be led astray by strange teachings there, you see it. Strange teachings from bad leaders. Instead of being rooted in the teaching and tradition of the Christian faith and conserving that, we can be enamored with the new, intoxicated with the new, something new. There is principally nothing new under the sun. And if someone starts teaching you that you need to add something to the gospel to be saved, like eating certain foods, here with a reference to Old Testament Jewishness, or, or doing any external rituals in that way, that's bad news, not good news. And many of us can slip. In fact, we're all, uh, in a way, tempted to always slip back into adding something to grace for our salvation. Eating rules or other things we do that have no spiritual effect. And what these things always do is they undermine 
grace. That's what all false teachings do. They minimize, minimize the grace of Christ. False teaching maximizes what we do rather than what God does. And what it does is it draws you and then you drift away from Jesus Christ as your focus and anchor and you fall out of the race. That's why we have verse 8 in the middle. It's as if he's saying, times change, leaders change, but Jesus Christ doesn't change. If good leaders taught and modeled Christ to you yesterday and Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever, then you don't need anything new for salvation. God is still holy. We are still sinners. The gospel is the same old gospel and Jesus Christ has not changed. Rather, you need to focus on Jesus Christ. Remember Pastor Clint's sermon from Hebrews 12 about focusing on Christ. He is the answer to good leaders who are no longer available to you and to bad leaders who are adding strange teaching to lead you away. Focus on the one who is always the same and unchanging year to year. Grow in your understanding of all he is and what he has done in the past and what he's doing in you today and what he promises to do in the future. He, Jesus, is able to make you the kind of person that your good leaders were. So don't turn from what you've been taught or stop imitating those in the past because their Jesus is the same and he was their focus and must be yours. And in that way then, Jesus is the anchor for your soul. And friends, you know, under pressure, we can get off course in the Christian race. We, we look away from the basics and we try and find a new way of coping, even a shortcut. So we, we need discernment to choose between what is true and false and what is good and best. We don't want to be spiritual babies, dull of hearing, and those who are drifting in their faith. We want true Christian stability that comes from true Christian ministry, from good leaders and their teaching. Teaching that's anchored in the truth of verse 8, so that as Ephesians 4 says, we grow up into Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So I want to look at these three things more closely in the rest of our time. Yesterday. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday. When is yesterday? I actually don't think it's a reference to his eternal nature as the Son. Although some commentators might disagree, certainly his, in his divine nature, he has, he's been the same from eternity. But I think here it's focusing on his incarnate ministry as the Messiah. Hebrews 5 tells us, it refers to the, the days of his flesh. Hebrews 5 verse 8. Plus here, there is a word order in this description as Jesus Christ. This isn't like his first and last name. This is Jesus the Christ. With Christ emphasizing his Messiahship. That is his earthly ministry as the anointed one. So Messiah in Hebrew is Hebrew for uh, anointed. Christ is the Greek equivalent meaning anointed, right? So in the Old Testament, you'll remember the, the prophets, priests, and kings were anointed by having oil poured over their heads as a sign of commissioning for their role. So Elisha, as a prophet in 1 Kings 19, commissioned with an anointing with oil. Aaron as a priest, Leviticus 8, 
David as a king in 1 Samuel 16. And, and then when he comes, Jesus is anointed not by oil, but by the Holy Spirit at his baptism so that he can say in Luke 4, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. So Jesus the Christ, Jesus Christ fulfills his threefold office of anointed prophet, priest, and king. And in fulfilling them, he saves his people from their sins. God saves is the meaning of his personal name, Jesus. So yesterday, he came into the world to deal with the problem and pollution of our sin. He does it in his state of humiliation, God incarnate. And he fulfills his anointed office of prophet, priest, and king. He's our great prophet, better than Moses. Going back to Luke 4, finishing that verse off, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to do what? To proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is a proclaimer. He's a, a prophet. Or the verse that I read at the beginning from Hebrews 1, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. He is the final better prophet about whom all the other prophets were speaking. It's why when Peter asked Jesus at the transfiguration, shall we make tents for you, Moses and Elijah? And God says from the cloud, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. So Jesus teaches, doesn't he? And he teaches so brilliantly. He is the great teacher with all these wonderful parables. And he, he, takes, he looks up around at, in nature and he brings these examples in. And he teaches things very clearly to people and then he tells stories and, and leaves you just thinking about them so it just gets in your mind and ultimately he teaches who he is and the great need of repentance and faith in him he's the prophet of prophets he's also our great high priest who accomplishes what the other priests couldn't do the Old Testament priests would bring sacrifices but the sacrifices couldn't take away the sins if they did they wouldn't need to be repeated all the time. Only God can ultimately take away sin. So Christ comes as priest, but also as the sacrifice for our sins. He's the sacrificer and the sacrifice. The Old Testament priest would examine people and declare them clean, but he couldn't cleanse the leper. Jesus cleanses the leper, so too the lame, the, the blind, the deaf. But Jesus points to their real need, salvation from sins. He is our great high priest. And finally, Jesus is our great king who breaks in with his kingdom rule. All authority in heaven and earth is given to him, and he rules in his people's lives as they submit to his kingdom rule. All other kings fail, but King Jesus demonstrates his authority and his power over Satan in the wilderness over demons by casting them out, over disease by healing people, and over death by raising Lazarus. And then all of this comes together, you see, in its climax in the Gospels on the cross. On the cross, Christ is the prophet. As the English pastor and author John T. Rhodes writes, the cross is Christ's pulpit. 
It is from the cross that he preaches the love and justice of God to us in salvation. It is on the cross that he is the priest, our great high priest, who makes sacrifice even as he himself is the sacrifice for our sins and pays the penalty for our sin in our place. And he's on the cross that he is the king. He's the king ruling in the hearts of those who will trust in him as he defeats the power of Satan, sin, and death through his own death. So that yesterday, in the days of his flesh, we see a Jesus who is able to save to the uttermost those who have faith in him. Is he your savior? Is he your savior? That's to all of you, young and old, children here. Is Jesus your savior? Is he your prophet, priest, and king? Have you seen who he is? What he's done for you? Have you turned away from resisting his great love and received him gladly? You know, he came to save sinners. Sinclair Ferguson says, the pulse beat of God's heart has an evangelistic rhythm. The pulse beat of God's heart has an evangelistic rhythm. Jesus didn't come to call the righteous. There's no one righteous, right? Sinners we all are. And Jesus, Messiah, is whom we all need to save us. And he finished it on the cross yesterday. What about today then? Well, the author is well, the author's just saying this. He's the same today in his state of exaltation as he was yesterday in his state of humiliation. You see, Jesus is not a set of theological propositions that remains in your head. He is a person to be known in your heart. The Savior who who rose from the dead and ascended into heaven and will come again. He's alive now, this Jesus. Do you believe that? He's to be loved. He's to be followed. So friends, you need to know him. You need to know him personally. You need to meet him daily, today. You know, if, if I were to tell you that I know someone very famous, David Beckham, Wayne Gretzky, or pick your favorite fa- famous preacher, you'd probably ask me, what's he really like? What's she really like? Not a female preacher, but a famous female. What's he really like? What's she really like? You know, off the field, out of the pulpit, up close and personal. Nice guy, nice person, love the family, down to earth. But you know, sometimes Christians act as if they don't really know Jesus personally. They don't seem to be able to describe what he's really like. Or if they do, it's in a kind of distant way, a kind of forensic way. So you, you hear about it, it's more like a lecture or a lesson rather than, oh, that person really knows him. But if you wonder what Jesus is like today, you've got a record of him in the Gospels yesterday. Consider how he was yesterday, walking and talking with the disciples, inviting people to come to him with heavy burdens and find rest for their souls. Warning them about the perils of hell for those who don't come to him. He's still that way right now, you see. Today, in our today. 
He's the same Jesus of the Gospels. So you look to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you go anywhere in the Gospels, and you look for the glory of Jesus Christ. Here's a tip. Don't look to the, in the Gospels and primarily look for yourself. Because if you, you know, and we can all tend to do that, and it's not that we don't see ourselves, you know, in a Peter or a Zacchaeus or what, but if you go look primarily for yourself first, you'll miss Jesus. Look for Jesus, then you'll see yourself rightly. That's the key to understanding the scriptures. Look for Jesus. So let's look for Jesus. Let's consider his compassion. His compassion. God takes flesh in Jesus enabling him to do what he did as a human being, as a, as a man. So he's not only able to save us, he's able to sympathize with us in our weakness. Such is the compassion of Jesus. You know, Jesus became part of what he created, yet as Hebrews 4 says, yet he is without sin. Unless he takes on flesh, he can't feel your pain in that way. And so we read in Chapter 5, verse 7, that Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. And surely hearing that, we're then transported to Gethsemane where we see his anguish over sin and God's justice that must be satisfied and how he is about to face the cup of God's wrath and drink it down to its dregs in our place. And so you cry, don't you? We cry. We cry and we fear things, don't we? We, we mourn our own sin. We, we mourn the sin of the world around us. We long for things to be better in our lives. And Jesus knows all of that and more, much more. The Jesus of Gethsemane is the same Jesus today. And as the risen Christ, you know, he remains today a flesh and blood reality Still praying, still interceding at the right hand of God for his people. Right now, in this moment, you consider that. Right now, in this moment, Jesus is praying for his people. He's praying for you right now, today. Do you know Jesus in that way? Compassionate Savior. Would you come to Jesus now with all of your hurts, all of your losses and all of the burdens of your sin, all the broken hopes that you've got, and would you, would you lay them down before him? Do you, do you think that he wouldn't see you? He doesn't know you? Do you think he wouldn't grant you greater blessing than you can imagine? Why not? Why don't you believe that? Because you don't believe he's the same today as he was yesterday. Ah, oh, but he is. He is. So consider his compassion. What about his kindness and his power? I've been meditating a lot on the passage in the Gospels when Jesus heals the woman with the chronic 12-year illness and, and Jairus' 12-year-old daughter. He raises her from the dead. You know that, that passage. How Jairus implores Jesus to come and heal his daughter. And it, it simply says, and he went with him. How kind is Jesus? How kind is he? He just went with him. So kind, though, that on the way to heal Jairus' daughter, when the woman, in amongst great crowds, reaches out and touches his cloak, he says, who touched me? 
and he knows her and he heals her. She's healed. But because of the delay, the delay due to his kindness, Jairus' daughter dies. Now the problem is impossible to fix. And so some people say, why bother the teacher anymore? But Jesus says, don't fear, only believe. In other words, the people see the problem and say it's a hopeless cause. And Jesus sees the problem and says, with God, nothing is impossible. Don't fear, only believe. And then he raises the child from the dead. See, Jesus is not only kind and tender, he's also almighty and powerful. Almighty to heal a 12-year-old sickness and almighty to raise a 12-year-old child from the dead. And he's almighty to deal with all of your problems, no matter what they are. You think you've got an impossible problem? Hear Jesus say, don't fear, only believe. If he were only kind but had no power, it would be no good for us, right? If he had all power but no kindness, it would be no good for us. But Jesus Christ is infinitely kind and he's infinitely powerful. And what about his patience? What about his patience? Jesus is slower than we are prepared to be with others. He takes his time, even that patience, to stop and see to that woman. He did not come to condemn but to save. So just come to him in all your sin and troubles, in all your backslidings, wherever you are now, if Jesus can reverse what has happened in 12 years of a person's life, he can reverse the ravages of sin and death in your life, which means he can change your seemingly impossible problems and work them out for good. He can work them for good. So don't give up, friends. Don't give up. Why? Because he is the same Jesus today who healed that woman and raised that child yesterday. That's who he is. See him. See him in that way. Compassionate, kind, powerful, patient, and trust him in that way. And here's the thing, friends. When you do this, when you do this, you stop being a spectator of Jesus, and you start becoming a participator in Jesus. You're not just looking on from the outside. You begin to see him working working his life and power in you because he is the same today as he was yesterday. And then what about forever, finally? Well, think about your future. We're always thinking about tomorrow, aren't we? We're always thinking about what's ahead. Our plans, you've got plans for this afternoon, you've got plans for this week, you've got plans for the summer, plans for next year. Our plans, our worries, our hopes. You know, we can be overconfident and think, we're going to go do this, we're going to do that. Or we can be over-concerned, maybe, and think, well, it won't go well for us. Future's not going to go, go very well at all. It's all going to be bad. We see all the bad stuff that's coming. And we spend time with our minds employed, running down all these possible trails of uncertainty. Because the future is uncertain. Except that Jesus is the same tomorrow as he is today, as he was yesterday. And he's the one who holds the future. That's why God's mercies, you see, will be new every morning for you. You ever think of that? You go to bed, tomorrow when I get up, I've got mercies from God, new ones. They're there for me in the morning. That's how you can sleep at night, right? 
Because you know you've got mercy coming in the morning. If you've got Jesus. Because he's full of mercy. And he's there for you tomorrow as he is today. His merciful promises for the future will always come true because he's unable to lie. He's the same. So don't be tempted to look to things like money for your security. It's interesting, isn't it? If you look back at verse 5 in, in Hebrews 13, that the writer counteracts the, the love of money, keep yourselves from the love of money with the presence of God in Jesus. You can love and lust after money when you have it or when you don't have it. You know, people think, oh, just the rich that are tempted to the love of money. Oh, no. Plenty of people that don't have money love money. They crave after money. And it can be so that your only contentment you have is based on money. But you're never going to be content that way. You will only fear. You'll fear not having money or you'll fear losing money. Always fearing someone's going to do one over on you or cheat you out of money. Or always jealous of those with more money than you. Instead, you need to know this. As the text says, read it. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Then you can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So friends, what are your fears for the future? Think now and name one or two in your mind right now. What's your fears? Think. Now take heart and confidently say this, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The fact, the Lord is my helper. Therefore, I will not fear. Notice that is a volitional statement, volitional statement, not emotional feeling. I will not fear. But it's not stoicism because it's based on theological truth. The Lord is my helper. So here's the logic. If God is for me, who can be against me? Who can be against me? Linking Psalm 102 to Jesus, it says in chapter 1, this is part of why I read this uh, at the beginning, that everything is going to perish. The Lord will roll things up like a garment. All your stuff will be gone. This church, your houses, your bank accounts, Calgary, London, Rome, Paris, Moscow, all going to be rolled up like a garment. They will be changed, it says, but you are the same, referring to Jesus. Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. So you can say, I'm secure in his love. I can face tomorrow with Jesus by my side. He's not changed one iota from the one who invited me to come to him. And he's lowly in heart. And he's yoked himself to me forever by my side. That's what you've got to realize right now. So dear friends, your losses and your pains of this life, you know what they're doing? They're just making room for more of Christ in your heart. That's what they're doing. Christ who never changes and Christ who never leaves you. All may change, but Jesus never. It's the line, isn't it, from a song? He knows all our hopes and fears. The Christmas carol says, right? The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. 
You see, he has all of our tomorrows in his hands, you know, forever. Tomorrow, after tomorrow, after tomorrow. So go to him in prayer. He says, the writer of the Hebrews says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, friends, prayer is not just a list of requests at its heart. It's communion with God through Jesus. And he loves us to come to him like dependent children, as it were. You remember Jesus with the children? The disciples who get it wrong, all the, you know, they are erratic. Keep the children away, don't want the children. No, keep the children back. Jesus is like, what? Let the children come to me. Let them come to me. And it's as if in prayer we climb up into Jesus' lap and we feel his touch. So children, Jesus wants you to come to him. His eyes, his eyes are open, his arms are open, but he wants all of us to come to him like children dependent upon him. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear, and what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. So are you prayerfully trusting him? Have you seen how great and gracious he is? Maybe you're resisting him at this moment in fear. You're saying, I, I can't let go of these things, even though they don't please the Lord, even these particular sins. Do you think he would take that sin from you and not give you riches beyond measure? You know what we sacrifice for his honor? He will reward a hundredfold in this life and the next eternal life forever. Forever. Just in closing, there was a, a man, a, a, a teacher, a leader, a good leader, who had some influence on my spiritual life. A leader whom I remember with affection and whose faith in some small measure I tried to imitate. And he always used to sign his emails to me, as ever, Ken. Ken, Ken was his name. I love that way of signing off a letter, as ever. You know what it means? It means this, I will always be to you as I have been. We will go on together. I will always be to you as I have been. We will go on together. Now, we don't know for certain the human author of the letter to the Hebrews, but we do know the divine author, the Holy Spirit, even the Spirit of Christ. So that as we read the letter, we meet Jesus himself, our personal Lord and Savior. We hear his voice. And maybe as a postscript to this letter, he, he might write something like this. He might write, press on, dear child, and don't drift away. Come to me, your prophet, your priest, your king. See my love for you at Calvary and focus on me as you follow me all the days of your life, in the good days and in the bad days and through all the changes you experience. I will hold you in my arms and I'll carry you as a shepherd carries his lambs. I will always be to you as I have been and we will go on together all the way home to heaven. I am the anchor for your soul. 
I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. As ever, Jesus. So Father, as we've heard your word, even the word about Christ, I pray that we would see him more clearly, that we would love him more passionately, and we would follow him more closely. For his name's sake, amen.